Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we bow before you with thankful hearts for the privilege that we have to worship you in truth and spirit, knowing that you are holy, 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 and that you have allowed us through your Son to come and worship you. We thank you for this privilege, and we pray that we would not take it for granted, for we know that you are the God who has created us for the very purpose of worship. And we pray, Father, that as we come before you, that we would confess our sins, seek cleansing, so that we might be able to worship you, so that we might be able to hear your word and apply your truth to our life. We pray for your spirit to come and do that work that only he can come and do. For we know that all is vain unless he comes. So we cry out to you, Father, to send your spirit to open our eyes, to unstop our ears so that we might see and hear your truth and rightly apply it to our life. We pray, Father, for the salvation of sinners and the sanctification of your children. We pray, Father, that you would work in our midst to bring honor and glory to your name. We thank you, Father, that you have not left us to our own intellect, but you have given us your very words. And we pray that as we continue to study these words this day, that we would learn, as the disciples prayed, teach us to pray, Father. And as we look at the Lord's Prayer, we pray that you would give us greater insight into these truths so that we might pray more biblically. We pray, Father, for those that are unable to be with us today, you know their reasons and their needs. We lift up those who are ill. We pray that your healing hand would be upon their body and that you would be pleased to restore their health quickly so that they might join us in worship soon. We pray, Father, for those who would be away, watch over them and protect them and bring them back to us. We pray especially for those who would not be here due to lack of concern for their own spiritual needs and that you would bring conviction into their hearts so that they might return and not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. Work in our midst to bring honor and glory to your name, Father, and we place all of this in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me again to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we will read verse 11 as we continue our study in the Lord's Prayer as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We've looked at the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, and all three of those petitions, if you remember, have to do with God's glory, His holy name as we looked at at the first petition, his kingdom, and then his will. Now remember, it's all about God, not man. God's glory is that which we should cherish most in our life, more than anything else. His glory should be the apple of our eye, for all of God's riches lie in his glory. He says... My glory will I not give to another. 
Thomas Watson said, God's glory is worth more than heaven, more than the salvation of all men. It would be better that the kingdoms be demolished, men and angels annihilated, than for God to lose any part of His glory. He understood God's glory, and may we likewise understood God's glory, because Watson points out that Christians should prefer God's glory before all other concerns in their life. And of course, the natural man doesn't understand that because he seeks the things of this world. He's interested only in the things that please his flesh. He's not interested in the glory of man or glory of God. And there are those here this morning who are still natural men. In other words, you're in love with this world. You're not in love with God. You're not in love with the glory of God. You don't desire the glory of God. Only thing that you desire is your own glory. I pray that God would open your eyes up to His glory this day, which is found most glorious in Christ. When we see and experience what Christ Jesus has done for us, then we magnify glory of God. And we do that by worshiping Him. That's why we're here today. At least I should say that's the why those who are saved are here today. Some of you are here because you've been forced to be here. Or you do it simply out of habit. But once you have seen Christ and what Christ has accomplished for you, you want to be here to worship Him. So I ask you, do you prefer God's glory over your own private concerns? Do you prefer God's glory before all other things? Is He first and foremost in your life? Now, family is dear. They're flesh and blood. But God's glory must be dearer even than family. Jesus said, If any man would come after me hate and not hate his father, mother, wife, children, and brethren, sister, and yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, he's simply saying nothing, not even your family can come before him. There must be a greater devotion to God. God trumps our family. We must prefer him before all things. It's better to be poor and here on this earth than rich and spend eternity in hell. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So we must prefer God's glory even before all of our treasures, even before our own life. And many Christians have shown that. They have actually died for the glory of God. They've died for the gospel. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He understood the glory of God. And as we grow in grace, we should have a greater desire to live for God and to die for God's glory, desiring Him to be first and foremost in our life. This fourth petition teaches that man must look to God for every single need that he has, even his physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. And we know that all good things that we receive come from the hand of God. There's nothing that we have that did not come from the hand of God. He gives us what we need. 
He is the giver of all blessings. And James tells us that in chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Above. And comes down from the Father who is of the lights. So with this truth in mind, I want us to consider three truths that deal with our needs. Now, we have to understand that this is a big leap that we're making. We're leaping from God's glory down to man's affairs. And in looking at our needs, we must remember that there are limitations. All that we seek must be rooted in our desire to please God with what He gives us. If that's not our desire, then we don't need it. Our desire must be, whatever God blesses me with, I'm going to use it for His glory. And Paul emphasized that, did he not? For whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do we understand that verse? Whatever he says. I mean, that includes every single thing that we do must be done for the glory of God. That must be our ultimate purpose. Now, these three petitions that come after the first three are very valuable for they present to us Jesus' teaching about what we must pray and in what order we must pray them. Now, the order that Jesus gives us surprises some. And we see that, first of all, when Jesus tells us to pray for these physical needs that we have. And He starts with our body not our spiritual need. And that's what confuses a lot, even even confused some of our church fathers when they began to think about this. They just could not imagine that Jesus would emphasize praying for our physical needs first after He just stressed the importance of God's glory in those first three petitions. So therefore, they came up with some erroneous ideas that I will mention in just a moment. But first of all, we must just stop and think about it. I mean, think about why would Jesus say, okay, pray for your physical needs? Well, our existence in this world is dependent upon our physical needs, is it not? I mean, we have to think about it. Children, what happens if you do not eat? And your parents often say, now eat everything. Why? So that you'll be good and strong, that you'll be healthy. If you don't eat, you get weak. And sickly, and if you continue not to eat, eventually you won't be here on this earth anymore. So, in other words, what I'm saying, our physical needs are important. If we're going to be used of the Lord, we must be healthy in our life. And there's nothing wrong with us praying for our physical needs as long as we don't forget our spiritual needs. Now, a lot of times when we come to prayer meeting, and I'm glad it's not the case here at our church, but I hear pastors talk about it often about their church. They simply have an organ meeting. In other words, they talk about the organs. They talk about the kidney and the heart and other parts of the body, but they never get to the spiritual needs, and that's sad. But we must be balanced in that. God does care about our spiritual as well as our spirit, I mean, physical needs. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now he's speaking there of spiritual needs. He isn't talking about our physical needs. But he also talks about our spiritual needs when he says, Man did not, does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, some of our church fathers, as I mentioned, had a very difficult time in accepting this daily bread as physical bread. And therefore, they came to thinking 
that it was spiritual bread that Jesus was talking about. Matter of fact, Jerome called it the superstantiated bread, which he's talking about the Eutychus. The Roman Catholic Church developed that teaching. Matter of fact, they say in their doctrines, the Eutychus is our daily bread, referring to the bread of life, the Word of God, the body of Christ. Those who receive it are united more closely to Christ because it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So therefore, they simply see this as spiritual bread, not physical bread. And this verse is a difficult verse to translate. The Greek word daily is only used here in the Lord's Prayer. Nowhere else in the New Testament is this word used. And to have a literal translation, it says, Our bread, the daily, give us today. Now, the Greek word, epousis, literally translated is daily or what is needed now. It at least means give us this day what is necessary physically. So, the church fathers, some of them, arrowed in that. And some interpret it, give us this day our bread for tomorrow. Now, that of course means the exact same thing, does it not? I mean, what we are asked for is sufficient and necessary for each day that we live. Now, this isn't confined only to food. It covers all of our needs, our material needs that we have in this life, everything that is necessary for our life in this world. Martin Luther said, of course, that great reformer, and in a couple of days we have Reformation Day, he who nailed the 95 Thesis on the wall on the Roman Catholic Church against them. And this is what he said, bread is everything necessary for the preservation of this life. And that's how we're to view it. Of course, there is a great difference when it comes to what we need versus what we want. I mean, sometimes we can be just like that little child. If you've ever gone to Walmart or another store and you have them in the buggy, what do they say? Me need that. Me need that. Right? Me need that. We're like that a lot of times, are we not? Going to God thinking that we always need that. Now, what is so amazing is that God, who spoke all things into existence, created man, is growing his kingdom, and will usher it in. This God, who is the God of all nations, and is holy, 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 that he, this God, would consider our insignificant needs. I mean, even down to our daily bread. But this is exactly what Jesus is teaching us. He's telling us that God is concerned with our daily needs, our bread, as our Heavenly Father, that He cares for us and that He will provide for us physical needs. Now, later in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, He states that even a sparrow cannot fall without the knowledge of the Father. And He knows exactly how many hairs are on our head. I mean, that's our God, all-knowing and all-powerful. And we must grasp this truth that this God who is so great, who is so magnificent, who has created all things, that this God is a personal God. 
And we can know this God by knowing His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we are in Christ, then He loves us and cares for us. He cares for our need. This almighty God of the universe is interested in you and me. He knows and cares about our trivial details of life. And that is truly amazing. That, as the psalmist says, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy and dwells in the high and holy place, would care about little old me. That's magnificent. That's the gospel. That's the miracle of redemption, that he would send his only begotten son into this world, send his son who was holy and clothe him in flesh, who was sinless and send him into such a wicked world so that sinners could be saved and have this righteousness that he earned so that they might be able to come to the Father and pray and ask for their daily bread. All that you have comes from the hand of God. We have nothing but what He gives us out of His storehouse. I mean, you and I cannot create a single thing. It all comes from Him. And since this is the case, we call it what? A gift, right? I mean, if it's not something that we've earned, if it's not something we've made, then therefore it's a gift to us. And we are to seek every mercy from God by prayer. And if it be a gift, then it is not something that we can earn. And if it be a gift, then it's not something that we deserve. So we go to God daily for these things. Now, second, all good things come from God, the giver of all that is good. How wicked man is when instead of going to God for his food, he goes to the devil. Now, man either looks to God or he looks to the devil for his needs. Now, most will say, oh, that's not true. I don't look to the devil. I provide for my own needs. I don't need anyone to help me. See how the devil deceives a man? He calls him to think that he's doing himself, but really and truly what he's doing, Satan is his master. And he thinks that he's in charge, but he doesn't realize that Satan is in charge of his life and that Satan has power over him and is leading him astray. He doesn't have the power to do what he pleases to do, even though he thinks he does. I mean, was that not the first sin of Adam and Eve to become like God, to be their own God? And of course, they weren't their own God. They were enslaved to Satan. And most men today who are unconverted, of course, are enslaved to Satan. Kind of reminds me of one of my favorite movies as a child. And I think I watched the movie like three times on one Saturday, Shenandoah. And in that movie, Charlie Anderson, he sits with his family there at the table and he prays this prayer. Lord, we cleaned the land, we plowed it, we sowed it, we harvested it, we cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be eating it if we had not done it ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you, Lord, just the same for the food that we're about to eat. Amen. Now most might not say those words as Charlie did in that movie, but most have that mindset. 
Now, I can prove this to you. As you leave church today and you drive home, just look around. What are the most of the people doing? I mean, there's a lot of people right out there now that are not in church. They're not in church. Why? Because they don't care anything about worshiping God. They're at the store. They're playing around the reservoir. They're doing other things because they have no interest in the things of God. And they think that they've earned this day to do as they please. It's their day. It's not God's day. It's their day. So therefore, they're going to use this day just as they want to. David prayed after bringing the gifts that Israel brought for the temple. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. What does David point out? He said, the Lord, the only reason we can bring what we bring to you is because you've given it to us and we're simply returning to you what you require of us. Now, this is not a sermon on tithing, but it did pop into my mind just now. Just think about that. I mean, God has given us all that we have and he only requires of us the basic, right? 10% as a tithe. And then if you want to give a gift above that. I mean, that's pretty generous. If somebody came to you and they said to you, now look, every week I'm going to give you $1,000. All you need to do in turn is you'll give me $100. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. Anybody wants to make that deal, come see me. And I'd love to make that deal with you if you'll give me the $1,000 and I'll give you the 100 every week. But that's how God does. He said, I'm going to give you so generously and all I require of you is to give back a small portion. And that's what David is pointing out too. Lord, you've given us all. And who are you to even allow us to bring back to you this which you would use to build your temple? Who can make God their debtor? Saying God owes me this or that. God only owes us one thing, and I've mentioned that many, many times from this pulpit, and that is everlasting hell. But God is a merciful God, and He has loved His people, and He saves His people so that they worship Him and praise Him. Now, do you realize that if you love God, it's all because God has given you a heart to love Him. Otherwise, you wouldn't love Him. And if you praise Him, He gave you the tongue and the tune to praise Him with. If you give to others, He has first given to you so that you might be able to do that. So we see that David says, For all things come from you, and of all your own we have given you. See, we don't even deserve a crumb of bread, much less a crown of glory. If a gift, then it crushes merit. Being a gift, then we must take notice of God's goodness. If He's blessed us with that, then we must take notice of how good He's been to us. And there's nothing in us that deserves this kindness, nothing that deserves this grace. Yet that is God's nature. He gives rich provisions. He rains down His mercy upon His people. 
I mean, think about three things concerning his giving. First of all, God never grows weary in giving good gifts. Why? Because he's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's not only dispensing blessings in the former ages, but he continues even through this day and will continue until his son returns to dispense his gifts upon us. Think about how he blessed Israel. We read about it just a moment ago in our scripture reading, how he blessed them even as they grumbled. You know, we can't be God, but if we were over Israel and we had the right to make the choice, when they began to grumble, what would we do? We would zap them, right? Look, I'm tired of hearing your grumbling. And if you don't believe that, think about your own family. When your children grumble, you zap them, right? You, you don't want to put up with it. You don't want to hear it. Well, we see that God was gracious and merciful to Israel there in the wilderness time and time again. But God has blessed us richly as well. We have so much more to be thankful for. We as a nation, we're spoiled. And you really get the understanding of that when you go to third world countries and see. Go to Africa. Go to some of the countries that I've been to there in Africa and see what the people have or see what the people don't have, I guess I should say. But yet they're satisfied, especially Christians. They're satisfied with how God has blessed them. Second, God delights in giving. He delights in mercy, Micah 5, 18. Jesus said, of course, what? Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open. We see, he goes on, he says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, he gives him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he gives him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good things to those who ask? And we see the illustration there. It's a good illustration. I mean, you give good things to your children. Well, God is perfect. And how much more is He able to give good gifts to us? And then thirdly, God gives to His enemies even. I mean, we see God's common grace is seen in how He provides for all people. In Matthew, we have already looked at it, Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 45. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of God in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God demonstrates common grace to all mankind. Psalms 52, 1 the goodness of God endures continuously. Thomas Watson said, God puts bread in the mouth that are open against Him. Oh, the royal bounty of God. Even those that are against Him, He still puts bread in their mouth. God's goodness in giving highlights man's ingratitude. For man continues to ignore the giver. 
Even though God feeds his enemies, even though he puts bread in their mouth, they continue to stand against him. He gives them all these things and they continue to insult him. How wicked lost man is, how sinful he is. What a betrayal of man. And he must stand before God one day because of this wickedness of not recognizing God and worshiping God. I was looking for a particular story I'd heard. I did not find the one I was looking for, but as I was looking for this story, I found numerous stories of parents adopting a child. They brought that child into their family, and they provided for that child. They loved that child. They cared for that child. They raised that child. They gave them so much. But then these children turned against their adopted parents. Some of them even murdered their adopted parents. How sinful, how ungrateful, how wicked human beings can be. But many treat God just the same way. They do not recognize His mercy and His grace. They take it for granted and they abuse it. Jeremiah 5, 7 says... When I had fed them to the full, they then committed adultery. He's speaking of spiritual adultery. In other words, they turned to other gods. I mean, how vile can a human being be when God has bountifully blessed them and then they turn around and forsake Him to strike the hand that relieves us to serve the devil instead. They are like Solomon. After David, his father, had kissed him, he plotted treason against his father. It's sad that our world is full of Solomons, but they will not go unpunished. For greater the sin, greater the punishment, the Scripture teaches us. And to ignore God's goodness is to ignore one's own condemnation. But praise God, His grace can change a man and cause a man to truly be thankful. This is seen in the life of Zacchaeus. Children, you know that story. You've heard that story in Sunday school many times. We all like it, right? We like the little song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Y'all remember that song? I think you got it taught. I know Miss Lawanda teaches her class that song. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I can still remember it even when I was a child. I mean, that's been a long time ago, as you know. But what a wonderful story. Zacchaeus? Today I'm going home with you. And what happened? He met the Lord. His life was completely changed. He'd been a tax collector. He had stolen. And what did he say? I will give back. And that's what the law required. And he said, I'm going to fulfill the law. What it requires, I will give back four times what I had stolen from there. Why did he do that? Because his heart was changed. He experienced the grace of God. He became a gracious man. He became like the Lord. 
gracious and merciful to others. See, God will have a people who will praise Him. God will have a people who will worship Him for His goodness and His grace and His mercy. And when someone experiences this grace of God, he cannot help but be gracious. When man truly sees God's graciousness, he has a desire to be like God. God's grace causes us really to be like the angels, praising God for all that we have on every occasion given to us, even during times of tribulation. As the apostles, after they had been beaten, it says there in Acts 5, 41, so to depart it from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. For His name. See, if God gives all, if He gives us our eyesight, if He gives us our health, if He gives us clothes and housing and all these things that He blesses us with, let us praise Him and sacrifice all for Him. For we are the temple of God, are we not? And where should God be praised And sound of praise come except from His temple. As Psalms 146.2 says, While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. As long as I live on this earth is what He's saying. I will praise God. No matter what comes my way, I will still praise God. Do you not see that in the life of Job? All, we could say, hell broke loose with Job. And what did he do? He praised God. God gives us daily bread, so let us praise Him daily. Let me close by inserting two things. First, when we pray for temporal things, our prayers must be limited. We must pray continuously based on what is best for us. If it would lead us to sin or if it would draw our hearts away from God, we should ask Him to withhold that and not allow our desires to dishonor Him. He knows, not us. So therefore our prayers must be like Jesus' prayer. Not my will, but Thy will be done, Lord. You know what's best for me. And if this thing is not best for me, do not give it to me, Father. Give me only that which will draw me closer to you. Give me only that which will cause me to honor you. Israel sinned when they prayed unconditionally. In Numbers eleven eighteen, in relationship to our scripture reading this morning, it says, For you have wept in hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. See, you know the story. We read it this morning. God had blessed them with manna. He gave them manna six days a week and gave them a double portion on the sixth day so that they wouldn't have to go out on the Lord's day and pick it up. But guess what? They got tired of the miracle bread that came from heaven. And therefore, in their unrestrained craving for meat, they demanded meat from God. 
And what did God do? He gave them their desire. But they had sour sauce on their quail. It says, while it was yet still in their teeth, the wrath of God came upon them and slew them. I tried to find out how many were slain, but I could not find that in Scripture. If anyone can find that anywhere, let me know. But I guarantee it, there was a lot of people that experienced that. Rachel was forceful in her desire for a child. She said, give me children or I die. Unconditional. And God let her have a child, but it was named Benoni a son of my sorrow. It cost her her life in birthing Benjamin. See, our temporal things must be submissive to God's will or else they may come in anger. In praying for temporal things, we must have a desire for a spiritual end that they would help us in our journey toward the celestial city. If we pray for good health, it must be so that we can continue to live for God and serve God and bring glory to God, to be fit for the service in His kingdom. If we pray for some ability, then that ability must have some holy end. Or if we pray for some need that it may keep us from temptation that poverty often brings and that we may be used to sow golden seed of charity so that we might relieve others that are in need. Praying for temporal things must have that spiritual end, the glory of God. Hannah prayed for a child. But its end was that that child might be devoted to God. She prayed, O Lord, if Thou will remember me and give unto Thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And she did. And God used him to bring about great things to honor God. Many pray for outward things only to gratify their central appetites. To pray only to satisfy one's appetite is to cry like a wolf rather than a Christian. As Christians, we must have a higher purpose with the glory of God in mind. Thomas Watson also said, we must aim at heaven while we are praying for earth. Must we pray for temporal things, for spiritual end, that we may be fitter to serve God? Then how wicked are they who beg temporal mercies that they may be more enabled to sin against God? Ye ask that you may consume it upon your lust. James 4, 3. One of the most ridiculous questions I ever heard was a story by Billy Graham of a woman who wrote him and asked him this question. She shared that she had fallen in love with another man at work 
and asked, Will God forgive me if I leave my husband for this other man? What a ridiculous question. And Billy Graham responded in that way and said, Ma'am, such a question leads me to believe and ask, Are you even a Christian? Do you even understand what being a Christian is? To ask such a ridiculous question. But yet there's so many people that ask ridiculous questions like that in asking God for certain things that they know that Scripture clearly teaches, no, you cannot have that. That is not yours. Don't even ask. You're foolish to even think such a thought as that. Second, the prayer says, give us. Why are we to pray in the plural? I mean, why does it not say, give me? Well, it shows that we are to have a public spirit of prayer. We must not only pray for ourselves, but we must pray for others. The greatest commandment, what? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So therefore, we must pray for others as well. And every true Christian has a love for others. So he prays that God would extend His bounty to them, especially God's saints. Paul said in Ephesians 6, 18, Praying always for all saints. What a blessing that is. What a blessing it is to come together with believers on Wednesday night, and to be able to share with each other our needs, both physical and spiritual needs. How it enhances koinonia, how it enhances our fellowship, how it builds up the body, how it strengthens our love for one another, to be able to share our concerns with one another, to be able to divide up into smaller groups and even be more personal and infinite with one another. And to hear our brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for each other. That's a glorious privilege that we have. And it strengthens us in our love. If we are members of this mystical body, we cannot help but have sympathy for one another in their needs. This sympathy should lead us to pray daily for each other. David had a public spirit of prayer. In Psalms 125.4, he said, Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good. And though he begins his prayer there of repentance in Psalms 51, praying for himself, have mercy on me, O God. Yet he ends with others. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Oh, how we need to pray for one another. Pray for the salvation of others. Pray for sanctification of others. I mean, and we all have this. There's things that you don't like in other people, right? Well, there's things I don't like in myself. I hope there's things that you don't like in yourself. 
And you need to pray for yourself. God, remove that, which I don't like. But we also, if there's something that you don't like about somebody else, put it to prayer. Say, Lord, you know, either change me or change them. It might be you that needs to be changed. But, but sanctify them in that area, Father. Why does wickedness abound in our nation? Well, the reason why wickedness abounds in our nation is because Christians are not praying. We don't blame the world. It's not their fault. They're not going to pray, folks. The reason we don't see an awakening in our day is because Christians are not praying. We are not concerned. If my people will humble themselves. He doesn't say, if the world will humble themselves. No, he says, if my people will humble themselves, then will I hear from heaven. And God promise on that still is true today. Every single awakening, every single one, do the research, do the study, study history, every single awakening began with a prayer meeting, folks. We know that. We've heard it. So therefore, we must pray that God would work in us to cause us to be a praying people because we are not. It's kind of like what a friend of mine said who went to a church one time, and that church said, we're a praying church. We spend time in prayer. But after he'd been there about a year, he got up and he said, folks, I've learned one thing this past year. You are not a praying church. He wasn't there much longer after that. A lot of people don't like the truth. The question is, are we a praying church? Are we willing to be faithful to pray for these things? To pray that God will bring about an awakening when there's a great desire for those things and God hears our prayers and answers them. But the sad thing is that there's greater desire from temporal things than spiritual things. When there's a Temporal problem, a physical problem, what will you do? You'll find people on their knees. You have some physical problem, you're going to be on your knees, but what about a spiritual problem? Are you on your need for those spiritual problems? Now, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we continue in this prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation and deliver us from evil. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But what I'm saying now is that let's not get out of balance. We're to pray for physical things as well as spiritual things. So therefore, let us be concerned about spiritual needs. How often do you pray that your faith might increase? Lord, increase my faith. Make me a stronger Christian. How often do we pray that we will become a more faithful witness? Lord, today, bring somebody into my life that I can share the gospel with, that I can speak the truth with, that I can be used in some way, Father, to encourage them and to bring them to Christ. Do you pray that you might rightly, even this day, that you might, Lord, before you came to service, Lord, teach me something from what the pastor says today. Help me to apply God's Word to my life today. Do you pray for the salvations of others? Do you pray with your children? Do your children hear you pray for their salvation? 
It's sad that some children never have heard their parents pray for their salvation. They need to hear you pray for their salvation on a regular basis. They need to hear that you realize that every single thing you have comes from the hand of God, that all that you possess comes from God. And when you're blessed with something, your, your children need to hear you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving me that bonus. Thank you for giving me that extra work. Thank you for giving me that gift. They need to hear that you are a thankful person and that you know that it came because God moved whoever it was, to give you what you were given? Do they see that you take it to the Lord in times of need? When something happens, they see that you go to the Lord. Let's pray about this thing that has happened. Let's carry it to the Lord. Do they see that and know that you are seeking to glorify God in all things? I close with what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. It must be emphasized that all we pray must be absolute necessary. We are not told to pray for luxuries or superabundance, nor are we promised such things. Of course, what would he think today in the name it and claim it? But we are promised that we shall have enough. The promises of God never fail, but they refer to necessities only. And our idea of necessity is not always God's idea. But we are told to pray for necessities. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that we find from this simple phrase, give us this day our daily bread. We thank you that you are a personal God, a God that cares about our every necessity. We pray, Father, that we would pray accordingly. Cause us, Father, to be a praying people, to long to see your name glorified and to be your instruments of praise. How we pray for those that are here this morning, Father, who are unconverted. How we pray for their salvation so that they might desire to pray to you and live for you. And we pray, Father, for our sanctification as your children. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.